You know, I just want to first of all thank Pastor Mark and Brenda for allowing me to come in because, like he said, there was an instant connection made. There was a supernatural divine connection made by God between our hearts. These two people who you have over your church are awesome people. Amen. And, um, and I know I don't need to tell you that, right? But as we've had lunch together and we've had dinner together and we spent a week eating falafel together, <laughs> we had vows together. So, <laughs> so we've bonded over food. Amen. <laughs> But I just want to say what an honor and a privilege it is to be in this house tonight. Amen. Amen. You know, um, one thing about myself is, is I love the church, which is funny because growing up as a pastor's son, I've been saved for 32 years, like Pastor Mark blew it. I'm 32 years old. I know you all thought I was 21, but the cat is out of the bag. I'm 32. And I've been saved for 32 years. I've, I've seen a lot and I've done a lot. And I've always said, I will never, ever be a pastor. How many of you ever said you would never, ever do something and you find yourself doing it? Amen. <laughs> but that was, that was my life. I would never, ever be a pastor. Um, but like Pastor Mark said, I am the assistant creative pastor at New Beginnings Family Church. We call it MBFC because it's easier um, in Monrovia. And so I, I really love creativity. I'm one of those people that, that I believe that we serve a creative God, amen, and that he is constantly changing and constantly revealing himself in different ways. So why should we not as the church be just as creative? Why is we in our life should not be just as creative because our God created everything that we see? And, and it's, so I'm a big, huge proponent of creativity in the church, but that doesn't have to mean flashing lights or doesn't have to mean somebody doing cartwheels up here that does really cool. It means expressing what God has done in my life the way that he's called me to do it. And so I just encourage you to, um, we're going to get our creativity on a little bit tonight. You know, I'm a Facebooker and a Twitterer. Twitterer. I like to Facebook and Twitter right before I come up because I'm about to get my preach on. And one of my friends from uh, the Valley, she's all, you go show them how we do it here in L.A., and I got that little notice, so, so I'm going to show you how we do it in L.A., amen? <laughs> Tonight we're going to be talking a little bit about destiny. I believe that we are people of destiny, that God has given us a destiny to fulfill. How many of you agree with that? Amen? I'm going to be asking for a lot of amen. I'm an insecure preacher, which means I, I need some feedback, amen? So when I say amen, I want to hear amen. So let me hear you say, Robert? I am a person of destiny. I didn't believe you. One more time. Robert, I am a person of destiny. Amen. I kind of believe you now. How many of you have ever wondered, what the heck am I doing? I know I ask myself all the time. I look at my life. I look at my kids. I look at what I'm trying to do. Sometimes I'm sitting at my desk in my office, and there's people all around me, and I got a stack of stuff, and I think, what the heck am I doing? This is not what I planned. This is not what I wanted. This is not what I set out for my life. Or some of us, you know, have five kids and we only wanted two. And you sit there and say, what the heck am I doing? There are so many things in life where we can stop and say, what is the point? What is the purpose? I've had so many things happen in my life that have caused me to question the purpose of my life. That have caused me to question 
what life is really all about and what God has destined me to do. So it is my desire that when we leave here tonight, that we are all firm and secure in our belief that we are people of destiny, that God has given us a promise and a plan to fulfill. And I want to give you some keys to help you fulfill that. Amen. One of the things that I believe about Christians is that we are educated beyond our obedience. Let me say that again. We are educated beyond our obedience. I had a lady in my office a week or so ago, and she's sitting there telling me she's going to another church. And I said, okay, that's great. And I said, I'll come. And she's one of my leaders. And she goes, well, I just feel like I need something more and something deeper. And I said, that's awesome. I said, are you currently doing everything you know to do? And she thought, and she goes, yes, I am, Pastor. And I said, oh, your life would look way better than it does if you were. And I think she was, I think she was a little surprised, but it's true. If we were doing everything that we knew in God's word to do currently in our life, our life would look so much better than it currently does. Amen. So tonight I'm not going to give you some new revelation of, of some new word that I found. I'm going to give you some practical life applications that you can apply to tomorrow to make your tomorrow better than today. Amen. You guys ready to do that with me? So to learn to live a life of destiny, we must have three peas in a pod. That is the title of my message tonight. Three P's in a pod. I'm a title person. I love message titles. That's, I sit there, and when I get my title, that's it. So three P's in a pod. Tonight we're going to look at the story of when Jesus speaks to the storm in the book of Mark, chapter 4. But we're going to begin in verse 33. So I'm going to go ahead and read that to you. Mark 4, 33 through 41. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. But he did not say anything to them without, oops, my little iPad woke, broke up on me, without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your power and your presence in your house tonight. I thank you that your word brings forth light and through that life, life more abundantly, Father. I thank you for a revealed word. I thank you for a refreshing and a renewing. I believe that you have a plan and a purpose to be fulfilled in the lives of people tonight. So, Father, I thank you for open hearts, open ears, open minds, Father, to receive your word with expectancy. In Jesus' name, amen. The first P in our pod tonight is potential. To be a person of destiny, I must recognize the God-given potential in my life, the lives of the people around me, and the life of my church. I'm going to read that to you again. That's a key point in my message. I have three key points. The first P in our pod today is potential. To be a person of destiny, I must recognize the God-given potential in my life, 
the lives of the people around me, and the life of my church. What I love about this message is that we're talking about three things in our life, three Ps, but we're also talking about three areas of our life. We're talking about in our personal life, in our relational life, and in our church life. How many of you all know that our life, as it's well-rounded, should have a personal life, a relational life, and a church life? So tonight, as we talk about the three Ps in our pod, we're talking about it in three different ways also. Are you all following me? Amen? Amen. So three Ps in our pod. The first one, potential. I want to give you the definition of the word potential. Potential is the inherent capacity for coming into being. The inherent capacity for coming into being. So you must recognize the inherent capacity for coming into being everything that God has called you to be. You must recognize the inherent capacity of God for the, for the relations that you have in your life of being everything that God has called them to be. And you must recognize the inherent capacity for this church to be everything that God has called it to be. Amen? Let me tell you something a little bit about potential. You sit there and say, but, but Robert, how do you know that I have potential? How do we know that we have potential? I mean, what is potential? I love potential because it's limitless. But let me, let's talk a little bit about what God says, what Jesus said about potential. Let's look again at verse 33 and 34. It says, with similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. Them and they, he's referring to the crowd there. He did not say anything to them, again, being the crowd, without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. How many of you know that we are disciples of Christ? Amen? The disciples were followers of Christ. What I hear in this story right here is that Jesus spent extra time investing in his disciples. He shared one story with the crowd and then later spent extra time investing in his disciples. You don't invest in something you don't believe has potential. You invest in things you believe have potential. He saw the potential in his disciples and spent extra time investing in their life. Amen? Amen. You know, this church, you invest in this church. You who are a part of this body, you give of your finances, you give of your time, you invest in this church because you believe it has potential. You believe that it has potential to reach the lost. You believe it has potential to help the brokenhearted. You believe that it has potential to feed the hungry. You believe in the potential of this church, so you invest in something that you believe has potential. Amen? You know, I heard the story of a friend who was a musician from overseas, and he happened to be visiting Boston. And while he was in Boston, he was walking around and just checking out the city a little bit and happened among a street corner where there was a man sitting there and he had uh, some paint buckets. And he had those paint buckets upside down and a couple pots and pans. And he had his drumsticks out and he's sitting there and he's like jamming, you know, he's going to town with his drumsticks and doing this thing. Well, my friend, who's a musician, was like really fascinated by it. So he stopped and he checked it out for a while and, you know, threw a buck or so in the little hat that the man had and, and just watched the gifting that he saw in the man. But he had other plans for the day. You know, street performers, we've all seen them, right? And we move on and we go about our day. So he went about his day and did his shopping and took care of all the things that he needed to do for the day. And that night, 
he happened to be able to go to a Boston Celtics game. He was a huge basketball fan, and so he was excited about that. And he's sitting there, he watched the first half of the game, and then like uh, halftime came, and he had to use the bathroom like everybody does at halftime, right? So he gets up, and he's ready to go to the bathroom, and all of a sudden he hears uh, the halftime performance going on. And, and he, he stops, and he, he looks for a second, and, and he notices that right there in the center of the stadium is a man with a couple buckets and some pots and pans and some drumsticks in the center of this stadium going to town right there performing for thousands and tens of thousands of people. And he said it was amazing how people were enthralled at this man banging those little buckets and little pots and pans, these tens of thousands of people cheering him on and, and looking at how great and how gifted that man was. That is the same man that they walked right past all day on the street corner. And it's like I ask myself, do we see the same potential in the man on the street corner as we do the man in front of tens of thousands of people performing? Do we see his potential or do we see his fruit and sit there and say, oh, look at how great he is. Do, are we the type of people who have to wait to see the fruit before we see the potential? My friend who just happened to be walking down the street saw the gifting in the man, acknowledged the gift that God had given him, was stopped, was in awe of the talent. I want to be the type of person that sees the potential in the people around me even when they don't see it themselves. We need to be a type of church that sees the potential in the person sitting next to you even when they don't see it in themselves. We need to see the potential of the person in the mirror even when we don't see it ourselves, You know, <clears throat> I'm reminded of a couple years ago, I was, uh, I'm a Starbucks junkie. I do have some addictions. <laughs> Starbucks will be one of them. <laughs> I go three times a day. <laughs> but let me tell you, I got favor. I don't pay. <laughs> I walk in, they know me, they know my drink, they hand it to me, and I go walking on out. Amen, it's good to be me at that Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> that was just a little sidebar. Anyways, so um, we're in the parking lot. There was a group of us after service, and we're standing out there, and we're all, uh, you know, it closed for like an hour. You know, this time where you're just talking and talking. And one of the young men in, in my church, he was about 19 years old, and we just started having a conversation. And he goes, he said he was going to go into the service. And I said, what the heck? Well, you know, you're going in the service? Now, there is nothing wrong with going in the service, amen? However, it would be like me saying I'm going to be a linebacker for the Raiders, okay? <laughs> the guy did not look qualified to be in the service. He had his little uh, plug earrings, you know, and all these things. And I'm like, really? I go, there's nothing wrong with plug earrings. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, just don't, I just don't picture you picking up a machine gun right now. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> There's potential, amen. <laughs> so he's standing there, and, and, and he tells me, he goes, I'm going to go in the service. I said, why? And he goes, because there's nothing else for me to do. And that broke my heart, that that was his view of himself. And I looked at him, and I said, you know what? If God's called you to go into the service, that's awesome. Go in the service. But if it's because you think that's all you're capable of doing, you are sadly mistaken because he was gifted and talented and he had potential. And today, that's my worship director at my church on staff. 
Two and a half years later, he's on full-time staff. The man is gifted and awesome and our worship director because, not to toot my own horn, but I saw potential in the young man. He could be overseas right now fighting because he thought that's all he was capable of doing, but God had other plans for him. And there are people in your life who God has other plans for. But it takes you stepping up, leaving your comfort zone a little bit, amen, and saying, I see potential in you. I see what God has for you, investing in them and making a difference in somebody's life. Am I preaching good tonight, amen? Amen. (laughs) So we are full of limitless potential because of the investment that Christ made in us. God paid the ultimate price of investment. He sent his only son to die for you and me. That is an investment. So as you move forward today and you say, man, you know, I do have potential, but not because of my works, not because of anything I've done myself, but because of the grace that was found in the cross and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we all can stand here tonight and say, we have God-given potential. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's look at the second P in our pod tonight. The second P in our pod is passion. When God gives you a sense of what you're passionate about, you are ruined for anything else. And that's a bold statement, but it's true. When God gives you a sense of what you're passionate about, you are ruined for everything else. I'm passionate about the local church. I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. You know, we sit there and I have friends who say, man, how can God allow people to go hungry? How can God allow people to be hurting? I said, he he doesn't. It's your job to do something about it. He doesn't allow it. The way that God has set his system up on this earth is to be used through us. That is the only way that he works. And so you can sit there and say, why isn't God doing something about it? I dare you to say it in the mirror. Why isn't God doing something about it? And he'll point the finger right back at you. I called you to go do something about it. I am passionate about the local church. I am passionate about people, man, rising up and saying, God loves you unconditionally. That has been lacking for so long. We need to love people unconditionally, amen? You know, like I said earlier, I wasn't passionate my whole life about being a pastor. I was passionate about money. I was. That's what I was passionate about. Since I was little, I was one of those that counted every penny, and I, and I always wanted the nicest things, and now my son has that, so pray for me. <laughs> so we're believing for him to be saved someday. But... <laughs> I I, I was the type where I was going to be a self-made man. But the problem is that we do not understand how much we limit our life when we're self-made. Amen? And by the the time I was 23 years old, I was in international sales. I worked also in the garment industry. You can see from my fine fashion sense that (laughs) these red shoes that I like clothes. And and so I, I worked in the garment industry for a while. I bought my first house at 23. Um, we had two Lexuses in the driveway, and that was what I was passionate about. That is what I worked towards. That is what I did. And, but you know what? I was passionate about the money, but I wasn't passionate about selling Japanese electronics. No. Let's just be honest. 
okay? It brought home the bacon, but it wasn't really what I was passionate about. And how many of you know that sometimes in your life, there's those things that you're passionate about, but you kind of squall them a little bit, you know? You kind of try to keep them down. I was always passionate about the church. I never walked away. I led worship. I've led worship for way too many years. Um, and so I think like 15 or 17 years I've been part of our worship team. And so I never walked away from that. I never walked away from God. I never walked away from the church. I always had that, that little bit of deep desire down in me, you know, but I denied it. I fought it. I was like, no, 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 that's not me. That's not what I want. That's not what God's called me to be. He's called me to make millions for his kingdom. So bring it on. <laughs> that is what I was passionate about. But how many of you know the disciples were passionate about Jesus? Amen. Let's look at verse 35. It says, That day when evening came, he said to the disciples, Let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took, um, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. You know, the disciples, we heard that when they first had an encounter with Jesus, it says they dropped their nets and immediately followed him. When they had a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus, they became passionate about following him. Nothing else mattered. They dropped their nets and immediately followed him. I'm not that smart. Amen? <laughs> For me, it was not like that. I fought with everything within me. I fought against the passion that I knew was within me. I tried to hide it. I tried to keep it down. I tried to do everything humanly possible to go against what I knew I was really destined and passionate about. And so I wasn't one of those who immediately dropped my nets and said, okay, here I come. I'm going to be a preacher man. No, it was a little more difficult than that. How many of you have fought before something you know God's called you to do? You didn't immediately just drop your nets and follow after him. But that's what the disciples did. They immediately followed after Jesus. So we see that the disciples have potential. Jesus recognized the potential in the disciples. And the disciples also had the second P. They had passion. They'd immediately drop their nets. They followed after Jesus. They were passionate about his cause. They were passionate about being near Jesus. How many of you are passionate about being near Jesus tonight? Amen. We are passionate about going after our Lord and our Savior. Potential and passion. The disciples had both of those. Our third P tonight in our pod is purpose. God wants you to use your passion to fulfill his purpose. We have potential, we have passion, and we have purpose. And so you sit there and say, what am I passionate about? That passion was given to you to fulfill God's purpose in your life. That's how you fulfill God's purpose. You say, I don't know what my purpose is. How many of you have ever asked what your purpose is? I hear it all the time. Because I am huge in my church about getting people to serve. It's about service. It's about service. It's about service. And they say, but I don't know what I'm passionate. I don't know what, I'm, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know. What are you passionate about? I have an older couple in our church. They were Lutheran for 50 years. They came walking in our service one time and never went back. And amen, I love that about my church. That somebody can walk in and be Lutheran for 50 years, feel accepted, comfortable, drop their nets, and immediately follow after what Jesus wow. told them to do. But they've started a ministry for us called I Care. And I think it's similar to We Care. And um, they, we hand out groceries every month, and we cut people's hair, and we, we do all of these things. But it started with them just going, and we have a homeless ministry to L.A., and that was the first thing. So they went out there, and they, they found a passion 
in that. They found a passion in helping those less fortunate than them. And so then that developed into, let's do some groceries once a month. And now we fed 500 families this month. All because this couple came in and they found something that they were passionate about and God used it to fulfill his purpose in their life and the life of his church. Church, you are passionate about something. You know you are. Right now, everybody has something popping in their head. And you may think it has nothing to do with church. Let me tell you, if God put a passion in you, it was designed and put there to glorify him and his church. Now, if it's passionate about eating, I don't know how that works. Because <laughs> that's me. But let me tell you, I love me some food. But... <laughs> But God has made us passionate people with a purpose to be fulfilled. So let's read on a little bit about the disciples and see what happened to them. You know, one thing also, that Angel Food Network. As I was watching that video today, you know, I've heard of Angel Food. But did you all notice that it said that it began off the back porch of a person's house? That's somebody who had potential passion and purpose. That's somebody who started as something so small and so minuscule. I bet they thought, oh, how nice. Let's off the back of our porch and look at what God has done through that. It's the same thing for you tonight. You may sit here and say, but it's so small. But what God has called me to do is just something off the back of my porch. You have no idea what God has planned for that. I bet those people, when they started handing out those groceries, had no clue if you asked them what God would do and use through that little ministry on their back porch. So tonight, do not limit your potential because God sees it wide open. Amen. Let's look again at verse, um, whoops, my, these dang iPads. Let's go to verse 37. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Wimps. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. We saw that when the disciples got on the boat, they had all three things. They had potential, they had passion. And what was their purpose? Their purpose was to go to the other side. Yeah. Jesus said, get in and we shall go to the other side. That was the purpose of the trip that they were taking. How many of you know when Jesus says, let's go to the other side, he means let's go to the other side. Amen. That was the purpose of the trip. So they got onto the boat with all three peas in their pod. And then a storm came. How many of you have ever had a storm? We all have storms in our life. And unfortunately, the disciples lost all three peas in their pod in the midst of that storm. I've had storms in my life. But let me tell you, one awesome thing about a storm is it doesn't last. It doesn't matter how big it is. It doesn't matter how destructive it can be. But the sun always comes back. You look at Hurricane Katrina, one of the most destructive storms. But let me tell you, the storm is still not going on in Louisiana. The storm always has an end. And it's the same thing for our life. You know, I shared with you earlier that at 23, my life was perfect. 
And then we have my, my son, my firstborn son, and he was one, and he's the cutest baby in the world, and just life kept getting more perfect. <laughs> and at 25, I'm sitting at my desk working in my international sales job, and I get a phone call. My mother-in-law says, Robert, the doctor called, and Julie has cancer. My wife was diagnosed with cancer when I was 25 years old. Uh, we had a one-year-old, and she was three months pregnant with our second son. And um, I wasn't expecting that call. I had my life in control. I taught a message once about who's sitting on the stool. And I said, I was in the driver's seat. I was sitting on the stool. You know like that Carrie Underwood song we like to sing? Jesus, take the wheel. You know, like that? Yeah. Why is it that you have to spin out of control before you say, Jesus, take the wheel? Did you notice that in that song? Yeah. It, the car spins out of control, and then she starts, oh, but she is beautiful. She starts singing, Jesus, take the wheel. And it's like, why couldn't you have taken the wheel from the beginning? Maybe you wouldn't have been spinning out of control, amen? I don't know where I was going with this. But <laughs> so I got a phone call that at 25 years old, my wife had cancer. But they told us, congratulations, you've won the lottery of cancers. She had Hodgkin's lymphoma. They did. They told us, oh, 95% survival rate. This is going to be a piece of cake. She was three months pregnant. She started chemo at uh, three months pregnant. My wife went through six months of chemo while pregnant, while working a full-time job, while going to school full-time, and having a one-year-old. So when we have ladies in our church who are pregnant and complain they're tired, I say, suck it up. <laughs> like I was the one who did it, you know? <laughs> God's still working with me on the compassion part, amen. But so she went through all of that and delivered our son healthy, a healthy baby boy. He is, he's going to be my linebacker, let me tell you. He's, he's 25 pounds, um, weighs 25 pounds more than my older son, and he is solid. But he was born healthy and strong. Her pregnancy was good. She went through the chemo, no complications. God's grace was on her and my, my baby, and he is healthy today. But they said, you know what? Uh, they did their first test and said, the, it's not working. You know, you went through this six months of chemo, and it's not working. So they, they sent us to City of Hope, a world-renowned cancer center by our house. And um, it, she was checked into City of Hope on January 2nd. A couple days after Christmas, she had delivered her uh, baby two weeks before, had a one-year-old, a newborn baby, and was hospitalized for the first time for her first eight days of treatment. Two and a half years later, we went through two bone marrow transplants. Each transplant was a six-week visit minimum. She had two strokes. Um, the last visit in the hospital, she was in the hospital for three and a half months in ICU 10 times on life support, 10 times. We went through hell. She passed away October 20th, 2006. And I had a one-year-old and a three-year-old little boy. And I said, God, this is not what I had planned for my life. This isn't fair. I've served you my whole life. I did everything that I was supposed to do. I grew up a pastor's son, and man, I listened. Or I'd get my butt whipped. <laughs> I listened. <laughs> I led worship. For those two and a half years, I slept in the hospital room every single night, 
and would the next day go to work. On Saturday nights, I'd sleep in ICU, go and lead worship at my church the next morning while my wife was still in ICU. I did what I felt I needed to do, and yet she still died. And I had so many questions. I was so angry. Have you ever been angry before? Can we be honest for a minute? Amen. I was angry. And I said, God, this is not what I have planned for my life. And I asked why. I said, I need to know why. And I really, for a year, I struggled with that. And then God, there was a time in my life where I, I heard this message preached and it changed my life. It, the preacher said, you don't need to know why, you just need to know him. And there are some things why we will never know the reason why. But if we have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, we cannot deny him or his power. I would not be standing here today had I not gone through the hell that I went through. That changed my life. I went from international sales to to being in the ministry. I knew what I was passionate about. I knew what God had called me to do. And so would I trade, man, would I, what, do I want my wife back? Yes. But would I trade where I'm at today for anything? No. Because God is using me in a way that I am just dumbfounded in sometimes. I stand there and say, God, I lost a lot. But because of that, I'm going to make the devil pay. Because of that, I'm going to preach louder. Because of that, I'm going to preach more. Because of that, I'm going to share more of God's grace and love. I'm going to use what's happened to me to glorify God in a greater way. Yeah. Church, the problem with the disciples was not... Let me say it this way. The problem with the disciples was they stood in awe of the wrong thing. Yeah. They stood in awe of the one who calmed the storm. They lost their focus. That's what we do. In the middle of a storm, we get a little wet. And we, you know, what happened was is their purpose was to get to the other side. But in the midst of the storm, their purpose changed. It was no longer, give me to the other side. It was, I want to survive. Have we ever been there? Where it's no longer about the purpose God gave me, it's about just surviving. That's where they found themselves. They no longer cared about their destination. They no longer cared about where God was sending them. They cared about survival. That's where I found myself sometimes. Man, it's like, God, I just want to survive. I just need to survive this. And God says, no, I've called you to thrive in life, not survive. The problem is, is that when you focus on the storm, you lose the focus of where God is taking you. So if you get a little wet, it's okay. Man, it cleans you off a little, amen? <laughs> but the thing is, is it says in the word that they stood in awe of the one who calmed the storm. But I want to challenge you tonight that if they stood in awe of the one who slept through the storm, let me say that again. Yeah. If they stood in awe of the one who slept through the storm instead of calmed the storm, they would have never lost their three peas in their pot. 
If you stay focused on the one who can rest, who can sleep, who can keep his head on the pillow in the midst of a storm, you stay focused on Jesus. But if you're out there looking at the waves, looking at the wind, watching and saying, Jesus, save me, you become in awe of the one who says peace to the storm. Had you from the very beginning stayed in the stir of the boat, stern of the boat and said, Jesus, I keep my eyes on you. I keep my focus on you. No matter what may be going on around me, no matter what situation or circumstance I may see, I focus on the one who sleeps through the storm and I stand in awe of a Jesus who can sit there and sleep and find peace. Amen. The problem is, is that we as a church have stood in awe of the one who calmed it. And God wants you to know tonight that you have potential. You have passion. And you have a purpose, and storms may come, but do not lose your three Ps in your pot in the midst of that storm. Focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Like I said, as I was dealing through those things with my wife, I focused, I, I still led worship. I still led worship. I had to lead worship. It was something in me that I had to do. And people would say, Robert, you slept in ICU all night. Say, no, I have to worship Jesus. I had to keep my eyes on Jesus. I had to keep my eyes on the one who calmed the storm. I couldn't focus on the storm. I couldn't say, Jesus, calm the storm. Jesus, calm the storm. I just had to say, Jesus, Jesus, I focus on you. Let's bow our heads tonight. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you in your house tonight, Father. Thank you, Jesus. I want to pray for you tonight. And I want to speak to those who say, Robert, I've found myself in the midst of a storm. And I've found myself focusing on the wrong thing. I've found myself, I've been one of those people who have stood in awe of the storm. And it's easy to do. Because the storm sometimes can seem...